Hello, you're listening to the No Fibs podcast. My name is Charlie Caruso, and you can find me on Twitter using the Smashing Avocado hashtag. Today's podcast is a summary of everything you need to know about the AA bill before the May election. It's a mashup version of the long form podcast that I'll be uploading shortly for anyone interested in the extended versions of my interviews with Senator Jordan Steele John, Dahi Oglison, and Felicity Ruby. So, what do you need to know about the Access and Assistance Bill? that was rushed through the Australian Parliament at the end of 2018. Fact, Australia has no Bill of Rights and citizens of Australia have no official rights to privacy. Fact, Australia is part of the Five Eyes Intelligence Network and as Felicity Ruby confirmed, The Five Eyes is an arrangement that's been going since 1947. It's an intelligent sharing alliance among the UK, the USA, Canada, New Zealand and Australia. And it arose from code breaking that happened during the Second World War and it spilled over after the Second World War to become a permanent arrangement. So Des Ball, a famous Australian academic, described it as a transnational intelligence community in 1985 when he did his groundbreaking study of it. But um, others have described it as the most secret arrangement ever um, because so little has been known about it until Edward Snowden actually produced documents that, that verified that it existed. And since Edward Snowden's documents became available in 2013. The Five Eyes have had a change strategy of how they deal with um, the fact of its existence uh, and these agencies that have been part of it for all these years becoming much more publicly known. Opinion, namely mine. Increasing accessibility to encrypted communications has provided citizens around the world an opportunity to communicate directly without the fear of any big brother intercepting our communications. I believe that the Five Eyes view encryption as a threat to the control that they've had to monitor what news and information we receive and are exposed to, and I believe they want their control restored. I believe they intend to do this by pushing our fear buttons and using the threat of terrorism as an excuse to deprive us of our right to communicate privately. I believe, as many others do, that Australia is considered a perfect testing ground to pass these laws that threaten the future of encryption because we have no Bill of Rights and nor do we have any major political party with a backbone willing to defend the rights Australians have to privacy. Fact, as told by Felicity Ruby, who is midway through her PhD on the Five Eyes. 2017, um, the Five Eyes meeting in Ottawa announced that they were going to go after encryption and that Australia was going to take the lead. Wow. And so Brandis came back from that meeting in June 2017 and announced that Australia will be leading the discussion around encryption. And um, and we're going to drive some um, efforts home. Fact. The Access and Assistance Bill began to be drafted immediately after the meeting in Ottawa, as confirmed by Senator Jordan Steele-John.
Yeah, so I mean, this piece of legislation was brewing in the background from the moment I got into the Senate about a year ago. Um, it was one of the first questions I ever asked in the Senate estimates process was in the relation to this, because of course, at that time, the departmental head, Michael Pizzullo, was kind of insisting that, you know, of course, we don't mean to create a backdoor key. You know, you don't understand what we're trying to do. We have somehow managed to transcend the laws of mathematics. And, you know, wait until you see what we've created. You'll be so impressed. Um, and I've always thought that that was nonsense. And so we were grilling him over that as it began to, to, take, uh, to take shape. Um, and uh, as it took form, and when we finally saw the legislation, what we found was an, an absolute horror um, of, a, of a bill drafted by people who don't seem to understand or care about the fundamental basis of privacy in Australia and, while they're at it, um, the fundamental basis of a $3 billion annual industry um, here in Australia. Fact. Ten days after the public consultation period for the AA bill closed, Peter Dutton presented the bill to the lower house declaring amendments had been made to reflect the feedback from submissions, which means that either Peter Dutton lied to the house and to the Australian public or his team were able to comprehensively read over 300 lengthy documents and integrate the comments and feedbacks and the resulting complex amendments requests in 10 days. Shadow Attorney General Mark Dreyfus is recorded here in the lower house describing his concerns relating to the conditions that this bill was presented. ...and other legislation Assistance and Access Bill 2018 was introduced into the Parliament on the 20th of September 2018. Without specifying a reporting date and without any suggestion that it was urgent for the inquiry to be concluded by the end of the year, the Attorney-General referred the Access Bill to the Committee on the same day. Although the Government claimed that it had consulted widely on the Access Bill before its introduction into the Parliament, the public consultation was very short, especially for such a lengthy and complicated bill, running as it does to some 175 pages. An exposure draft of the bill was published on the 14th of August and submissions closed on the 10th of September 2018. Disappointingly, it became apparent over the course of the inquiry conducted by the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security that many affected organisations were hardly consulted at all before the 14th of August, including, extraordinarily, the government's own Inspector General of Intelligence and Security and the Commonwealth Ombudsman. In fact, the Inspector General and the Ombudsman told the committee that they found out about the exposure draft of this bill from media reports. A number of Australian companies also indicated to the committee that they were either not consulted by the Morrison government or, alternatively, if they had been consulted, that when they had made submissions they were essentially ignored. The committee heard compelling evidence that in the form the government introduced this bill to the parliament, it could well do more harm than good. 
Specifically, as presented to this House, the bill could, among other things, pose a significant risk to Australia's national security, jeopardise security cooperation with the United States, and create unnecessary risks to Australian businesses and, in particular, local technology exporters. Fact. It is not normal to present a bill to the House just 10 days after the consultation period for that bill is closed, as confirmed by Senator Jordan Steele-John. No. Uh, everything about this process is uh, highly abnormal. Um, and what we have on display here is one of the worst uh, uh, kind of... Um, uh, situations where both sides of politics, and we need to be really clear about this, the Labour Party is just as at fault for the passage of this terrible legislation as the Liberals who dreamt it up. They could have stopped it and they didn't. They could have listened and they didn't. And they could fix it now by repealing it and they bloody well refused to. Um, and both sides decided, no, let's not bother doing any due diligence on this legislation. Let's bring the Senate inquiry to an early end um, and let's rush it through because otherwise we fear that if there is a terrorist attack over Christmas, we'll be blamed and then we'll lose the election. Um, and there was no evidence for that concern. There was no facts provided to the parliament. It's all kind of brushed away under the auspices of, oh, well, that's national security information. Fact. On the last sitting day of 2018, the Senate passed provisions from a bill initially moved by the independent Kerry Phelps which threatened the incumbent government of losing a substantive vote for the first time in 90 years. Led by Phelps, non-government parties were on a mission to pass legislation to remove refugees from Nauru and Manus Island. But in an unsettling turn of events, Corey Bernardi and Pauline Hanson prevented it from returning to the lower house in time to test the government. The coalition didn't want the Medivac bill to pass and used the time pressure of the last sitting day to rush through the controversial AA bill without amendments the Labor Party had demanded. As a consequence, Bill Shorten and Mark Dreyfus called a press conference to offer the government to pass the encryption bill provided the government facilitates its amendments in the new year. Today is March 21st and there has been no official report that this has yet to be done. Fact, the Labor Party knew and publicly admitted that the consultation process for the bill was a sham, but voted for it anyway. Fact, those who voted against the bill were the Greens with nine votes, the Centre Alliance Party with two votes, and independent South Australian Senator Tim Storer. Those who voted to pass the bill, despite the fact that it was rushed through and standard governance protocols were not exactly adhered to, were 20 Labor Party members, Darren Hinch, James McGrath of the Liberal National Party, 17 members of the Liberal Party, Bridget McKenzie of the National Party, Peter Giorgio and Pauline Hanson of the Pauline Hanson's One Nations Party, President Scott Ryan and Brian Burston of the United Australia Party, which was formerly the Clive Palmer Party. Fact. 
the Access and Assistance Bill allows the government or intelligence agencies the ability to force Australian developers working for Australian encryption companies to provide access to encrypted communications, but prohibits them from telling their bosses or anyone else that access had been granted, as confirmed by Dahi or Glassoin. The technical capability notices and the assistance notices and requests, part of the legislation has like, compels the service providers, it compels WhatsApp, for example, or any communication provider not to disclose that their systems are being compromised. And while that's fine, you know, I, again, I understand why from a security agency perspective that makes sense. But from a holistic societal level perspective where the need for privacy exists, it, in my view, it's, it's flawed thinking. It's flawed application of, you know, of how they're trying to solve this problem. And it, in other ways, I see it as almost being you know, some, somewhat nefarious, the fact that people are compelled to secrecy while systems are being willingly compromised. But in addition to the serious concerns about government overreach and the lack of governance oversights, one of the major criticisms and concerns of the bill relates directly to the damaging impact it will have on the Australian economy and Australia's emerging tech industry. This was confirmed by Dahi Ogliason, who is the director of the Flux Party. In addition to Shadow Attorney General Mark Dreyfus, who made into detail about the economic impact in the House. Due to this legislation, Australian startup, uh, technology startup that uses some form of encrypted communication for exchanging information you know, between a user's phone and a, and a bank, for example, would say it's financial information. And that information will by default be encrypted. Now, technically under the legislation, it means that this company can no longer guarantee to their overseas customers that the encryption protocol is being implemented as it's supposed to be implemented. It introduces the risk that their implementation of the encryption algorithm could potentially be compromised. So what that does is that's just going to send a signal to overseas customers of Australian tech companies that Australian tech companies have this, now have this built-in risk associated with using them, a risk that we actually can't quantify because these companies aren't even allowed to tell us that their systems have been compromised. Me as a customer, it's probably just safer that I go with the, you know, the similar product that's coming out of Finland, for example. It, it's, it's, go, it's only going to be inevitable that as time passes, more and more customers will move away from Australian products because you know, it's now well known that these, these technical capability notices and requests have been issued. Like it, like they've already, some have already been issued. That much we do know. And as the, as the time passes, I hope we will get more information about the number of requests and assistance notices that have been issued. But at this moment in time, we, you know, we are very much in the dark as to how this is playing out. But I know from my own personal uh, perspective as a, you know, as a tech customer that 
I, I now have less trust in, in the, I suppose, the validity and the validity of, of what Australian companies can, can offer. And we will see in the coming year, Australian companies moving their resources overseas and moving their, uh, their tech departments overseas. And in a lot of cases, just simply picking up sticks and moving to safer uh, or well, to, yeah, to other locations that don't impose these same requirements on them. We can turn, Mr. Speaker, to the risk to Australian business. Numerous submitters to the Intelligence Committee argued that the access bill in its current form could force Australian technology businesses to move offshore. This could threaten over $3 billion in Australian exports and cost thousands of Australian jobs. Remarkably, it has become painfully clear over the course of the committee's inquiry that the government barely considered these issues either before the Minister for Home Affairs introduced the access bill into the Parliament on the 20th of September. By way of example, the Australian Industry Group, the Australian Mobile Telecommunications Association, the Australian Information Industry Association and the Communications Alliance have told the committee that, and I quote, the proposed legislation through its mere existence will make Australian exports of IT and communications products and services, or even every Australian website, subject to the same concerns by overseas governments and organisations that recently moved the Australian government to ban certain vendors from supplying hardware for Australia's future 5G networks. Therefore, the draft bill poses a real risk for the IT communications export industry which Austrade values at 3.2 billion Australian dollars for 2016-17. And this figure does not even include the value of other exports enabled by Australian websites, IT and communications products. Collectively, those organisations who gave that evidence to the Intelligence Committee represent the interests of tens of thousands of Australian businesses, including small and medium-sized companies. The committee also received direct submissions from small and medium-sized Australian companies who were concerned that the access bill in its current form would make them less competitive in the global technology market, and the committee has heard from at least two Australian companies that may be forced to move their operations offshore if the government gets its way. Other companies have said that it could lead to job losses. Senatas, for example, has told the committee that it may longer be able to manufacture in Australia if the access bill were to pass in its current form and that this could result in the loss of over 200 jobs. And it's not just established businesses that may be affected. The Victorian government's start-up agency, Launch Vic, told the Intelligence Committee that the access bill could hamper the ability of local start-ups to develop their products in Australia and to attract customers, investment and create jobs. In response to questions by members of the Intelligence Committee, the Department of Home Affairs confirmed that no report was commissioned on the impact that the access bill could have on local industry and that there had been no direct engagement with the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science during the development of the access bill. Question, as answered by Senator Jordan Steele-John and Dahi Oglasoyne, assuming Australians were willing to sacrifice and damage our economy and the future of our tech industry, and even if we were willing and happy to sacrifice our right to communicate privately, would the AA Bill, in its current form, actually help to prevent terrorism 
or terrorist attacks in Australia in any meaningful way. The reality is, if you were a terrorist organisation and you were aware that the Australian government now has the ability to essentially eavesdrop on encrypted communications from select providers operating in the Australian jurisdiction, the first thing that you do is you go, okay, we'll no longer use those tools. And any third year computer science student would be able to create their own an encryption program where they will be able to encrypt information, send it to somebody else and have that person decrypt it. And I, it's hard for me to explain just how, uh, how nonsensical this is because anybody who knows how encryption algorithms actually work and know how to implement them via code can just build a new tool that they'll just say, we're going to use our own bespoke tool for, communicate, for communicating that uses encryption that we know can't be broken. And we're not going to rely on these service providers like WhatsApp or whatever company might potentially be exposed uh, via this legislation. It's, very, it's, it's almost a rudimentary task to just build new tools that can circumvent uh, what the AA bill is trying to do. And, and that, that for me just shows it up as being completely not fit for purpose. But at the end of the day, here's one critical fact uh, that undermines the entire security case, uh, which is that these laws, drum roll, uh, only apply in Australia to companies based in Australia where our laws can be enforced or indeed where they can be enforced via agreements that we have with other nations. So if you're a criminal entity or a terrorist organization that wants to communicate via an encrypted device, the device you use is the device that isn't based uh, in Australia. Um, so you use Signal to, uh, to communicate rather than Australian-based encrypted message service, for instance. Um, that's exactly what organized criminal entities and terrorist organizations actually do. So what we have here is the undermining of privacy, uh, the risk to industry, with no real tangible benefits in terms of security. Question to Senator Jordan Steele-John. Was the AA bill a product of ill-conceived stupidity marred with politicking, or was there a more sinister agenda behind the bill? It's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, never underestimate the ability of the Australian legislature to act in a thoroughly stupid way for very little purpose, um, because it, it's a, there's a massive herd mentality there, right? You know, a bit of granite breaks off, breaks off at the top of the ledge and suddenly everyone's storming in the same direction. There's always that at play, uh, but you have to remember that we're part of a global securitization movement. Our public services have been working together with the relevant uh, shadows in, uh, in the British security services, in the American intelligence community for decades. And uh, together, they have pursued an agenda which has been totally antithetical to human rights and privacy, um, solely in the pursuit of a personal uh, accrual of power uh, in the hands of, uh, of uh, the security states of each, each nation. To that extent that it is part of a broader global uh, push, it is very sinister, yes. Fact. 
Despite the fact that the AA bill was formally presented to assist police investigations into terrorism and organised crime, the New South Wales police officer in charge of enforcing this bill stated on March 11th that the state police force were not adequately consulted and admitted that he hasn't got a clue how it's supposed to be implemented. Opinion, namely mine. If the Australian police weren't adequately consulted or understand how the AA bill will benefit their investigations, then I'm confident to say that considering George Brandis' comments after the Five Eyes meeting in Ottawa, these bills have more to do with international intelligence agencies and agenda than they have to do with benefiting the Australian investigations. These decisions appear to be made and executed on our tax dollar, impacting our rights in our economy and our emerging tech industry for the interests of intelligence agencies shrouded in secrecy and confirmed agenda to destroy our right to communicate privately via encrypted messaging platforms. Question. Considering so much of our intelligence agencies are shrouded in secrecy and there is just such a lack of transparency, which, you know, arguably is there for obviously keeping intelligence um, outside of, you know, the, the realm of understanding of the bad people. Um, but is it fair that we as Australians or what is the, the issues when we start to become really cynical and distrusting of our own intelligence agencies? as responded to by Felicity Ruby and touched on by Shadow Attorney General Mark Dreyfus when he commended the uh, bill in the House. It's, it's, it's okay to be cynical and critical of the, um, the capacities for surveillance, but I think also um, it's legitimate for some law enforcement activities, for national security, for intelligence, for there to be some surveillance. And to that surveillance capacity, for, in order for it to have legitimacy and in order for it to have social license, it needs to have basic democratic um, conditions, judicial oversight and warrants. There has to be a case made as to why surveillance is justified. Um, and if you can convince a judge, if you have a warrant, if there's something going on, then I feel as though there's a way in which we could have a concept of democratic intelligence whereby law enforcement, national security and intelligence agencies get what they need. What they're asking for is carte blanche absolute access 24-7 to everything without leaving their desks. And that is, that is actually placing their roles in danger and the legitimacy of those organisations in danger. And that's where I think they're going wrong, is that they don't understand how much credibility and legitimacy they've lost and thereby, you know, um, extending further to break encryption for the world here in Australia. That is that it actually brings more disrepute onto those agencies and more disrepute onto our country, actually, mm. um, in terms of the tech industry. Um, so, so I feel as though there's that the, the, the dangers inherent are for, like, citizens and for people who are wanting to, you know, organise democratically and peacefully. Um, but it's also for those law enforcement and intelligence and security agencies as well. When they go too far, like they are constantly doing, they are undermining themselves. So I think that's a point that I feel like it sometimes gets lost because um, we can be very cynical or conspiratorial, um, but we can also be, you know, a little bit more reasonable and recognise that uh, if, we, if we think that 
um, there are a, a, a terrible things that could be prevented, then fine. But they, they have to be done under certain conditions. Those powers have to come with safeguards mm. to satisfy ourselves and, and to guarantee rights, but also to, to safeguard the legitimacy of those agencies now, if we feel that they need as that. As much as humanly possible in the 30-minute space, um, and I'm sure there's a lot more angles and a lot more uh, facets to cover on. But I think the question is in the lead up to the 2019 federal election, where Australians have a rare opportunity to leverage the small amount of democratic power that is still afforded to us. We can vote according to the ideals or the integrity of the candidates who pledged to represent us in Parliament. It is my opinion that voting to support those who voted against this bill and everything it stands for, namely the Centre Alliance Party, Independent Tim Storer and the Greens, because they have already proved reliable to stand up for our rights to private communications against the pressure of international big brother agencies. We need to come together to put pressure on our local representatives Labor, Liberal and anyone else in our community who represent us in the Parliament that we pay for. Incredibly tragic events that transpired in Christchurch has proven to us that despite the fact that our intelligence agencies had access to encrypted services, it does not guarantee that our communities are going to be safe from acts of terrorism. I don't believe anyone who is asking to repeal this bill wants to in any way jeopardise police investigations into terrorism, but a bill this important and this complex needs to have careful consideration. It needs to make sure that it goes through the proper processes and be for the right reason. I believe that if May this year we have an opportunity to vote to ensure that those in Parliament are defending our rights and our rights to privacy. And I'd like to ask anyone listening who has found this podcast interesting or alarming uh, to spread the word about the AA Bill and share this podcast widely across social networks and try to ensure that as many people as possible are aware of the alarming conditions surrounding the AA Bill before the election so that as many Australians as possible make an informed vote count. Listen, I know that politics isn't always the most exciting topic to talk about, but sometimes things like our rights are important to be aware of and important to vote accordingly, especially supporting those that are willing to defend those rights in Parliament. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, the uncut version of this podcast will be released shortly. For anyone keen to hear the extended interviews with guests Senator Jordan Steele-John, Dahi Ogliason, and Felicity Ruby. I'm going to let the recording of Labor Shadow Attorney General Mark Dreyfus end this podcast with comments he made on the day he commended the bill by quoting David Kilcunning's grave warning that provides us all important perspective. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Charlie Caruso. David Kilcullen is one of Australia's most accomplished counterterrorism experts. I've quoted from him before. But I think the warning he provides is worth repeating today. A truly effective domestic defensive strategy would turn, indeed has already gone a long way to transforming our societies into police states. A purely defensive stance 
if it is to prevent terrorist attacks from within and without would have to include some or all of the following. Perimeter defences on all major public and many private buildings, restrictions on access to public spaces, intrusive powers of search, arrest and seizure, larger and more heavily armed police forces with more permissive rules for use of lethal force, intensive investigations of individuals' thoughts, words and actions, citizen surveillance. Mr Kilcullen's, end quote, Mr Kilcullen's list goes on at some length, concluding with, quote, the need for a raft of limitations to freedom of expression and assembly. It would also, of course, impose limitations on international trade and require increased state spending. Essentially, a terrorism tax. End quote. Mr Kilcullen then warns that, and I quote, accepting these impositions as permanent and developing them to the level at which they could actually, in their own right, as the centrepiece of a counter-terrorism strategy, protect against the atomised, self-radicalised terrorist threat of tomorrow, would amount to destroying society in order to save it. End quote. While the new powers that will be conferred by this bill will be used for both counter-terrorism and police work, I believe the warning Mr Kilcullen sounded remains entirely relevant.